I'm Steph Garcia-Sykos with Collegiate Sports Associates, and welcome to The Journey, a conversation series hosted by CSA founder and chairman Todd Turner and featuring special guests from across the intercollegiate athletics landscape. In each episode, Todd and his guests will share the story of their careers, including the challenges and triumphs they experienced along the way, offer advice to up-and-coming administrators, and reflect on the future of the industry. In this premiere episode, Todd is joined by Duke Vice President and Director of Athletics Emeritus, Kevin White. Todd, take it away. Thank you, Steph. Uh, we're going to begin our journey today with a dear friend of mine, 35-year acquaintance, uh, Dr. Kevin White, formerly the Athletics Director at Duke, among other places. Kevin, welcome. Thank you, Todd. It's great to be with you. And we do go back, I think, uh, the year might have been around, uh, God, if I think about it, about 1987 when we first uh, intersected. You were at UConn. I was at the University of Maine. That's exactly right. But, hey, you know, before that, you have such an interesting career and background. Your family history is so interesting. I know you grew up on on Long Island Shore uh, in Amityville, New York. And from there, um, well, you had an interesting family. I know you've written a book about your experiences as an AD, but also about your family. Tell me just a little bit about your heritage, particularly your Irish ties. Well, we're very proud of our Irish connection. I have, uh, first and foremost, I have Irish dual citizenship, Todd. I think you might know that. Mm -hmm. And uh, Jane and I have probably been over 20 times, maybe more, and have taken groups over as well. In fact, we took one over in uh, late May, early June of this, this summer already. Um, and, you know, it's, I know where I come from. I know who we are. Uh, you know, my grandparents came in 1907. Uh, my grandmother was, uh, you know, a fairly celebrated Irish step dancer and came and became uh, a maid in Brooklyn. And my grandfather came without the ability to speak English. And he really came under protest, uh, chasing my grandmother and, uh, and really had a, a, a very pop orientation into the United States of America. It didn't go well for him. And uh, neither one finished elementary school. And as I said, he wasn't an English speaker and there were no mix for hire. Irish need not apply. That was that a, that, that kind of part of our history uh, in, in New York as they lived in Ellis Island. So I have a really good sense of all of that, which has provided me with a deep sense of the underrepresented and uh, as we say today, DEI and the rest of it, because I think I understand it. And uh, and and by the way, my grandparents lived with us when I was uh, when I was young, so they had a profound impact on on me and and everything I believe. You also had a talented musician in your family. Yeah, we've had a we've had some. Uh, we, my mother was uh, one of the original what they call Roxyettes, and then she became a Rocket. And that was out of the uh, instruction provided by the Irish step dance grandmother. Uh, her name was Mariah Boyle. And uh, then my mother became a big band singer with uh, a lot of the big bands in the 40s and did a lot of the World War II uh, shows, the armed services shows and the rest of it. So, uh, And then we had some people in Ireland that, that are still pretty prominent uh, that uh, are performers and so forth. So we, we love the musical side. Of, of the world. That's been an important part of our family. Well, I've been in your basement and heard the carol of, 
oh, Danny Boyle, a number of occasions, and I know that's important to you. Um, you know, you, you, you grew up there in, on Long Island, but you did your undergraduate work at a small Catholic college in Indiana. Why there? You know, I, I, I think the best thing, I yeah, it's hard to go back in time and figure out just how those dots got connected. But uh, at, at that point, you know, I was looking to, to kind of close the gap academically. I had gotten off to a pretty slow start. We had uh, we had a lot of challenges in my in my family, um, financially and otherwise, and we we moved around an awful lot. And so I was in and out of school like crazy. Anyway, so by the time it it, it became um, college to thinking consideration uh, moment, uh, you know, I I don't know that I and my and by the way, I was the first generation high school grad in this country of my family, my, my extended family. And so uh, I don't think we really had a great sense of a education or no sense whatsoever about higher education. So I had the opportunity to, to go to a small Catholic college in, in Indiana after a couple of other short stops. And uh, and it, it just it, it provided me was what I think was, you know, the opportunity to close the gap and and to become more secure with who I was and, and quite frankly, uh, what I needed to do uh, academically to kind of move to the next level. So it, it just fit me well. And at that place, I, I had the opportunity to run track and, and to be a sprinter. And I walked for the track and field and I coached it for years uh, upon graduation. So, you know, it was, it was the right spot for me. But, uh, you know, life is funny. You don't know why you get to certain places and how you get there. Even when you reflect back, writing this book has been, which I just finished, 10 chapters, by the way, 171 pages, 53,000 words. And it's right now, it's in the hands of three publishers as I do this podcast with you. And so I'm trying to determine whether or not one of these crazy people are going to, are going to really, you know, jump in the pond and, and publish the darn thing for me. But I've, it's, it's allowed me to do an awful lot of reflection on the whys and the whens and how comes and the rest of it as I tried to document it. It's been, it's been a really good exercise. Well, let's reflect on, on some of those things. Um, you know, from that beginning, which had its challenges, you know, you went on to uh, ultimately get your PhD at Southern Illinois where you were coaching. And I know along the way you, you met the love of your life who has uh, blessed you with five beautiful kids. How did all that come, ba- come about? Well, James was uh, an undergrad at St. Joe's, St. Joseph's College in Rensselaer, Indiana as well. And, um, you know, I was, as I said, a, a track and field guy, and Jane was a gym rat. At that point, she kind of predated Title IX. It would have been a really good women's basketball player, particularly at that level um, or a higher level, um, had, had women's sports been in play uh, they were, the way they were shortly thereafter. But in any event, uh, so we we had uh, the dream about having a family and getting getting started, and uh, got married in '72. And and uh, as the story goes, uh, I had a, a father who was in terrible health. He was terminal in Newport Ritchie, Florida, and we went down to Newport Ritchie, Florida, to kind of support the family. I'm the oldest of four, and uh, intended to spend a uh, like long weekend, maybe a week, and uh, try to see if we could kind of help provide some stability there. And we stayed for four years and coached and fought everything at a, at a local ice. I, I want to go back to sort of your, your 
family situation. You got five kids and four of them are working in college sports. How did that come about? Well, you know, it, 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 the best thing I get, best advice as a parent I could get somebody is tell your kids what not to do. And exactly what I did. Don't do this. Don't, don't, don't take your, your wife, uh, your wife into college athletics or, or sport, by the way, you know, try and do something else. Try to, try to be more diversified than, than your parents and the rest of it. And, and of course, four out of five found their way into college athletics. Of course they did. Um, but that's, that's exactly what happened. Um, and you know, at this point we have three still in college athletics, Mariah, our youngest, who was a swimmer at Duke, was at SMU and has just taken a time out to step away with her, her two young children, which has been, uh, was really difficult to, to kind of do these kinds of jobs with, with your young children. And, um, and, but she had a wonderful stress worker for Rick Hart for about six years and, and, um, and ran a lot of the internal operations at SMU. And plus, you know, Brian's in FAU and they had a great run this year. Magical run in the, in the final four in basketball, and uh, and Danny's the AD at Tennessee, and uh, and really doing really really quite well. Um, and then Mike is the basketball coach at the University of Georgia, and our oldest Maureen is the the co-author of my crazy book, and uh, and she's uh, an English teacher out in Scottsdale, Arizona, at a place called Notre Dame Prep. So um, all of all five have been in education and. Four out of the five were in college athletics at one point. So, Kevin, when I think about your your career, and I know it well. You know, you, you transitioned from coaching to into administration, went to Loris College, um, then to the athletic directorship at Maine, where we first met when I was at the University of Connecticut, then on to Tulane, and then Arizona State, Notre Dame, and finally uh, ending your AD career at, at Duke University. I mean, well, why didn't you pursue college athletics and in particular what drew you to those places you know I, I think I kind of hinted at it in the beginning I uh, I don't know that I was I was enamored by the prospect of education and having grown up in a, in a family that hadn't experienced formal education uh, I put a lot of value on that and so the opportunity then to work in that sector at, at that point and to be a contributor to the next generation in terms of their aspirations and and, uh, and lifestyles and the rest of it, it came very appealing. And, you know, I, I was, a, you know, and I, I kind of hinted at this already, you know, we had a little bit of the show business background in, in my immediate family and the opportunity to connect, you know, entertainment and sport uh, became very appealing too. I mean, I think that was in my, my DNA at that point when I was a young uh, administrator, if not even one during my coaching years. We did a lot of crazy stuff when I was coaching, uh, a lot of PT Barnum stuff, and and uh, had a lot of success with it. But more than that, I had a lot of fun. You know, you've been a, a, a giver all your life, um, back to the industry, back to your family, uh, to your community. I remember um, watching you run 10 miles a day for 100 consecutive days. What drove you to do that? You know, I, it was, uh, it was, that was great fun. I did two of those, I called them and they were like, uh, you know, they, they were just like crazy runs. Uh, I'm sitting in my office and there's actually, there's uh, a couple of signed photos from the, uh, boys and girls club and the South Bend, um, let's see, uh, homeless center on my wall right here with kids signatures all over the place. And it, 
I think I got exposed to the fact that both both of those, the, the Boys and Girls Club and South Bend Homeless Center, needed, badly needed resources. And this was a way to kind of create a blog. And so I ran every day for, as you say, for 100 days. And, and over my 10-mile jaunt, sometimes I had guest runners running with me. We would have, you know, conversations about the world and, and certainly uh, uh, domestically, if not globally. And, um, and, and, and then I would record those. And so I had people sign up and pledge. And those things, both of them generated a couple hundred thousand dollars, which in today's money doesn't sound like a lot, but there was no overhead. It was, it was, it was totally, uh, it was all, it was all net net and it, it was great. It was easy. It was fun. And I looked forward to it. So I, I did two of those, two of those uh, under day it's and, and generated, you know, almost a half a million dollars, I guess. But those two entities badly needed the resource and the way those kids and the people that ran those servant leaders that ran those organizations appreciated it. Uh, I, I got back a hundredfold as to what, what I generated. It was, it was great. Kevin, a, a lot of us thought you were either incredibly crazy or uh, unbelievably dedicated because we watched you run at midnight uh, to get those 10 miles in. Um, during some of our meetings, there was Kevin White out there in the parking lot running in a circle. <laughs> <laughs> I've been a, I've become a really good, uh, you know, garage runner, uh, parking lot runner, whatever, yeah. <laughs> over those years. But, you know, I, I I got an awful lot out of it. It was so much fun, and it was fun to record my interactions and conversations with really good friends, and uh, and my perhaps insight, uh, learned or not learned, about the the country and the world, and, and record them. Um, and it was it was great fun. Let's talk about the the business for just a minute and kind of where things are today and, and where things might be heading. When, when you look up back on your career, you achieved a lot, you know. And and what are the what's what's the one thing that maybe gives you the most sense of satisfaction or pride about your career in, in college athletics? You know, I, I I have had the opportunity to be with, and it sounds you know silly, but I've had the opportunity to be with so many uh, young athletes, firing athletes and coaches and so forth. Um, and uh, it just to be part of their aspirations, um, futuristic planning and thinking and and kind of helping them create the roadmap. Having a cohort of young people come into your program, uh, either as a track and field coach or later on as an AD for 38 years, and have the opportunity to help them get from point A to point B and that, to play a role in that and and maybe through the recruiting process or the onboarding process, you told them, trust me, I will help you get to where you want to go. And then when you have the opportunity to actually deliver that, that deliverable becomes pretty darn powerful. Well, you've not only um, experienced relationships with your student athletes, but you've also been a great mentor to uh, many of your professional colleagues who've gone on to become directors of athletics or serve in other roles in, in in athletics or in business, um, you know, what are the qualities that you think are most important for an athletic director or someone aspiring to be in a leadership position in athletics? What, what are maybe three things that, that you you got to have in order to, to be successful? You know, I, I, I think, Todd, and I'll, I'll talk about them more pointedly in a second, but I think characteristics of leadership are critical. And, and you can kind of break those down and kind of create a matrix uh, to wrap your head around to think about it. But I think before I go there, 
let me just say, and I don't care what leadership position you're assuming, I, I, I think in today's world, uh, social media, uh, the, the fluidity of activity, uh, the domestic and global impact and the rest of it. I mean, I think you need to, first and foremost, uh, to, to, to run anything and to run it well, uh, I think you need to be a leader. And, and, and so we'll, we'll define that in a second. But it, it, I think somebody needs to be the voice, the, the voice. Somebody needs to provide the, the vision. Somebody needs to be able to tell the story. And then somebody needs to backfill. Like you promised those kids that come into your program that you were going to help them get from point A to point B. You got to deliver there too as the leader. And so I, I think being the leader and recognizing the fact that somebody be the leader. And quite frankly, if you accept that role, that has to be you. The other one is managing all the competing political forces and their politics and everything in every organization, every community. Uh, it really doesn't matter. But in college athletics, politics kind of maybe goes to the next level. It's a highly politicized part of, of American education. And to be able to to kind of be, to, to, to have an understanding of it and, and to monitor it carefully um, and, and, and accept the responsibility to managing the political forces is really important. By the way, and you and I, you know, we, we were leaders at a number of different athletic departments over the years, and we, we both have had some incredible people, and you've had an amazing career. Uh, and, and some of the people we've had were terrific and became ADs and the rest of it. But at the end of the day, when we were all together in a, in a school, they couldn't be the leader, and they couldn't be the sub-leader, and they, and they couldn't manage the political forces. That needed to be the job of the ultimate leader. And... And I don't think people really understand that. So when presidents often call and from my background and say, hey, Kevin, I'm thinking about hiring an AD. And I'll say, what are you looking for? Almost nine out of 10, and you got, you're in this business. Nine out of 10 will say, well, I want somebody that can make it rain. I want a resource acquisition person. And I'm saying, you really don't. I mean, you think you do, but you really want a leader and you want somebody that can manage all the competing political forces. That is such great insight. And advice, and you know, you talk about the political climates and being able to manage all of the components of that. I mean, college athletics has never been in a more complicated environment than it's in today. If if you could shape the future of college athletics, what do we? What would it look like? Uh, you know, I, I, that's you know, that's the the million dollar question at the moment. And uh, by the way, that's chapter ten. Uh, <laughs> for prognostications, go from here. You know, we, we I, I, before I, I try to even answer that question, I have to say, we're the envy of the world. You know, we're the only place in the world where higher education and sport are connected. You know, uh, Western Europe would love to have our model. Uh, Asia would love to have our model. And they've all studied our model, and they've not been able to put it together. You know, so we have something that's really special, and it's had a high, high impact on on Team USA and the Olympic movement and the rest of it, uh, because you know most of those kids that, that compete at a really high level have either been have either competed or trained at an NCAA member institution, and that's just not able-bodied kids. You know, I'm talking about Olympic movement, but that's also the para-Olympic movement as well. It, it's amazing the impact that that school sport, with the connectivity we enjoy in this country, has had on has had on on sport. Um, and so I, I, I think about that an awful lot. We, we have a lot to lose here. And that's the, that's the, you know, the tug of war we're in. And we've been in it for years between maybe education versus entertainment. 
And now I think it's even more broad than that. It's, it's education versus uh, the commercial aspect of sport, and, and which, take, which has taken on lots of different dimensions, the, the commercial activity that's going on right now. Um, and that's why a lot of things are occurring. It's enhancing people's commercial position. Everybody's fighting for market share. That's, I mean, this is not any different than the banking community, the airline community, telecommunications, whatever it is. Well, we're, we've become a, a pretty sizable industry. And so a lot of the forces that exist have existed in corporate America have now found their way into college, uh, college athletics, and not surprisingly so. Do you see the role of the NCAA changing? I, I do. I, I think the NCAA will will find a, a, a different place uh, and redefine itself. And I, I would think it will get smaller and it'll become, uh, if I had to, again, chapter 10, what I, what I think will happen is the NCAA will be, will kind of major in championships. They're really good at doing championships. I, whatever they conduct, like 93 championships or something at the moment. And they're really good at that. And and somebody needs to be the custodian of the rules and regulations that the membership agrees to. And and maybe then that plays out to uh, you know, to initial eligibility with some kind of a clearinghouse like we have. But I, I do believe they're gonna get out in the enforcement business or or have to at some point. And I think and I use this analogy a lot. I, I, I think for like the federal government has created this thing called the IRS. And it's a standalone, almost, although it's funded by the federal government. It's got a relationship, or a better analogy for me, more current, is USOPC with Safe Sport. You know, uh, USOPC pays for Safe Sport, but really doesn't have their fingers in the, in the Safe Sport cooking jar whatsoever. I almost think we need kind of a standalone uh, enforcement operation for the NCA. But I, it, the, the, the two big things that the NCA, the new NCA, the next NCA, Less, less toxic NCA needs to do is uh, is conduct championships, provide phenomenal experiences for about a, a half a million student athletes at eleven hundred institutions, and then the other one they need to do they need to become more Disney. Uh, they need to become storytellers. They they need to romanticize the experiences these kids are having, illuminate those experiences for the public and for everybody else. These kids are having phenomenal experiences, and by the way. They can't get those experiences anywhere else in the academy. In Can you um, prognosticate about what football looks like from a structural standpoint in the coming decade? Well, I, you know, I, I think it's there's a, an effort to become further federated, if that syntax would apply correctly here, um, and more standalone. And, uh, you know, I'm hearing the same thing about college basketball up to, at the moment. And, and I've always, I've never been in favor of that. I, I, I always thought that there was more power, more strength in numbers. And uh, either you want to be a part of the academy or you don't. And and I think there's great value to be a part of the academy. You know, the life-changing opportunities we provide these kids um, have all, you know, they all come with the opportunity to, to earn a degree and, and to move on into something beyond sport. I mean, the number of kids that can make a lifetime living from sport, that's a very, very small percent. You and I both know that. And so the opportunity to stay connected to, to American higher education in, in a really good substantive way for these young people to matriculate, I, I think is critical. And so to kind of create federated mechanisms to take yourself outside of the academy, man, I, I think that's the beginning of the end. I, I think at some point, 
we'll find ourselves in an irreconcilable position with uh, with the with the university community, and I I, I hate to see that happen. That we we enjoy something that is so special right now, and I don't think most people really understand what we have. And you, you need to go across the pond and talk to some of those operators, those franchise operators at the universities in in Western Europe, and and they want some what we've had, and and at the same time, you know, we, we don't appreciate it. Wow, so true. Well, let's um, let's wrap up with a couple of fun questions and just fire off the cuff, if you would, as as succinctly and quickly as you can. What's the most exciting moment that you've ever had as an athletic director? It's so hard. I think I've already uh, unloaded that gun at just being around the the young people and uh, being part of their aspirations, being being really a part of their aspirations, and, and feeling like you've got a chance to, to to make a difference in their lives. I mean, that's the that's the, that's the most exhilarating part of of being an athletics administrator. In there, in there, one game or one event though that you say, "Oh wow, what a moment that was." Well, you know, I. I, I was thinking about this overnight. You know, I, I find my, I, you know, I've been very lucky. I've been at some really great schools and we've had great, great moments at, at every school I've been at. And, you know, I think my, my, my 13 years as AD at, at Duke and the two national championships that Mike Chichesky pulled off and uh, which for him were number four or number five. And, you know, the three lacrosse and the whatever, I think we had about 13 national championships. Um, they were all special and all great. It, but it's never the one you win. I think the one that you think about the most and romanticize the most about is the one you didn't win. And so I'm at Arizona State, and it's 1990, what would it be, uh, January 1st of 1997, wearing the Rose Bowl against Ohio State. And we're with a team that's led by Jake the Snake Plumber, quarterback, at Tillman, uh, American hero, was a, a, a undersized linebacker, kind of, uh, make a spot for himself in the NFL and uh, defensive uh, player of the year for the Pac-10 at that point. Um, we hadn't been to a bowl game in eight years. And, uh, oh, my God, you talk about toxic environment. It was really tough. That's getting that season started only to go undefeated, get to the Rose Bowl against Ohio State and uh, and have the read with one, four, one minute, 42 seconds. We would have won the national championship. We wouldn't have been in the top 50 and having, having had one in that championship. We ended up finishing fourth that year. But uh, that's the one that got away. I spend more time in reflecting, thinking about that than, than maybe any other part of my crazy career. The one that got away from me, that's my most memorable moment. I was at the University of Connecticut, and we played Duke in the Meadowlands for a chance to go to the Final Four. And your guy, Christian Leitner, hits oh. a yeah, bucket right at the horn to beat us and send Duke to the final four. Yep. Story. Best advice you ever received? You know, Eamon Kelly was my president at Tulane, uh, one of the toughest dudes I've ever been around uh, and then had the honor to work for. Um, late night after receptions, he pulled me aside and he'd give me the same Dutch uncle speak. And it was, don't ever get tired. And that brown juice that he would be consuming would cause him to put an expletive or two in it. And don't ever get tired. And it's the best advice I ever got, uh, I think, uh, from uh, from somebody that I work intimately with. 
Dr. Amy Kelly, he was the president at Tulane for over 20 years, a Fordham guy from the Bronx, tougher than dog crap. Funniest thing that ever happened to you in your career? You know, when we, in 1973, when we, when we take the, the Volkswagen Beetle from northern Michigan, uh, Jane and I, to uh, Newport, Ritchie, Florida, to kind of uh, maybe rescue my family at that point, which was in, which was in a, a downward spiral. My dad is, is near the end. Uh, we unearthed the fact that uh, the local high school there needed um, a JV football coach and a, like a, I guess a, an assistant coach or a co-coach or something, I don't remember, and potentially a, an opportunity to coach track as well. And so at 6.30 the next morning, I'm in the parking lot looking for this oversized principal who was described to me as, in, a, in a certain way that I could pick him out of, out of a, you know, out of a lineup. And so this guy crawls out of his car and I walk him. This is 1973, August. I walk him into his office and by 10 a.m. I am the business teacher. I am the JV. I'm one of the JV football coaches and eventually I become the track coach. And that's 50 years ago. Yeah, that's uh, that's the beginning of, of quite a legacy. Well, this has been um, really a special time for me to spend with you, Kevin. And I'll ask you a question that I get a lot because, like you, I've been at a lot of different places. So uh, with so many stops in your career, who do you ultimately cheer for? You know, any place I've served, I've got, I've got a warm spot for. I've been so honored and feel so privileged to have had the opportunity to to, to, to serve at these different places, six institutions, and then even the ones where I was coaching and so forth. I, 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 I'm, I still have some real warm connectivity to Central Michigan University. Roy Kramer and I just did a podcast for them not long ago. I, I still have fond memories of, of my time there in Southeast Missouri State where I coached. And, and Anyway, so any place I've been, and then on top of that, wherever my kids are. And uh, I follow them, you know, fervently. Uh, and, and every every aspect of their athletic program, particularly the the sports they're involved with, and they huge Georgia basketball fan at the moment. For obvious Well, you know, with all of those tentacles into various places in the country, you're cheering for most teams in America. So <laughs> I have a lot of t-shirts tied. I got a lot. Of... Well, Kevin, uh, thank you for your time. Uh, your journey has just been incredibly impactful for not only our industry, but for your family. And I'm grateful for our long-term friendship. Thank you. I am too, Todd. And before I go, I have to say, you know, we both have, you actually worked for Gene Corrigan. Gene Corrigan had a profound impact on my career. Well, in that way, we were connected early on. And uh, I've always looked up to you and as a, not only a friend and an esteemed colleague, but uh, as a bit of a mentor. You, you've been somebody that I've always played very close attention to, and we've stayed connected, uh, religiously so, for almost half a century. So it, it's been it's been an honor for me to, to be close to you. Thank you, Dr. White. Our paths will cross again soon, I'm sure. All right. Thank you for me.